For March 1st, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 87, McLovin Caulfield. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the less la, 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 la. from a place where we speak English as a second or even a third language, I am your host Matthew Rather <laughs> here with the panel and the chat room on the live stream tonight to overthink our listener feedback and uh, many other things, including the question of the day. For the panel, this one suggested by the chat room, what is the next lol animal? After cats, after hamsters, after Admiral, Admiral Akbar, what internet meme uh, are we creating a lol, uh, a lol stravaganza to? So while the panel thinks, panel thinks about it, I just want to welcome the chat room and remind you that you can see us on the Overthinking It podcast channel on Ustream. Uh, Every Sunday at 9.15 American Eastern Time, 6.15 American Pacific Time, except as our regular stalwarts, of which we have many, will tell you, uh, it's, um, we, we tend to get started a little later than that. And we, uh, we love to do it. We won't do it next week, Sunday, March 7th, because the Oscars are, uh, the Oscars are happening. I guess we could get on Ustream immediately after the Oscars. We're, as soon as the Oscars come down, we're going to record the episode, uh, which gets pretty late on the East Coast and very late in Europe, where, believe it or not, we have some, uh, we have some listeners. But, hey, we could go on Ustream. Why the heck not? Uh, but uh, that's not going to be a regularly scheduled thing because we don't know when, when the Oscars are uh, going to be over. We thought the Oscars That should be the question. Yeah, when are, when, let's take a pool. <laughs> Chat room, we're taking a pool on what time the uh, – on how long a the pool? Oscar ceremony – Yeah, we're, we're, we're starting a pool. Oh, a pool. I thought yeah. you, were, you mispronounced poll. We're starting okay. a pool. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we are starting a pool about, uh, about when, to, when the Oscars are going to come down. Hey, when's where are we just talking about – we're the just talking about how internet avoid accepting <laughs> and the the uh, Matt, the, uh Matt, Matt, and and they're in our European listeners. Yeah, we're <laughs> just talking about how we are so appreciative of our international audience. We are appreciative of our international audience. We have uh, Northern and Western Europe in the house tonight, and it's like four o'clock in the morning there. So <laughs> they're probably <laughs> waiting for us to get on with the show. I know the panel is next. Lol, animal, because all is right with the universe. Because no guest or regular is on with the name earlier in the alphabet than him. We go to Cambridge, Massachusetts, and to Mr. Peter Fenzel. Hey, actually, you know, I'm not in Cambridge right now. I'm actually reporting to you live from YVR, Vancouver International Airport. <laughs> Just Sorry. flew in to cover the Winter Olympics. Now, I'm psyched. I got some cheap airfare. Got up here. You know, I got, I got, I got a finagle of bagel on the way over. It was pretty great. You know, I had some salted almonds, and I'm looking forward to getting out there and watching some Lugin. So, uh, I hope that um, – I don't know why nobody's here. Uh, there's nobody at the airport. I would have thought it would be a little bit busier. Um, but I'm going to look around, and as soon as I see anybody doing skeleton, I'll let you know. Thanks very, uh, much. The- Thanks very much, Pete. Uh, you you uh, stay cool there because I hear it's the warmest Winter Olympics on record. Oh, you know, that actually is a good segue because I think there's a clear mandate for what needs to be our next lol animal. Because if it isn't our le- next lol animal, we never make it a chance to make it a lol animal. And uh, as I mumble through it, yes, that's right. I'm talking about the lawler bear or polar bear, uh, which if we do not make it the next lol animal, will have departed our earth due to the decay of its natural habitat from global warming. <laughs> so you're saying get, uh, it while you, get it while you can. I'm saying that if you want to caption funny pictures of polar bears, do it before they're gone forever. <laughs> and, in your, and laugh yes. in the face of death. Laugh in the face of extinction with funny captions and impact fonts. I'm in your polar <laughs> ice caps, changing yeah. your climate. <laughs> I feel like the polar bears would be like taciturn. And oh, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add an additional, uh, additional requirement, which is that you, you give a sample of the kind of lol animal caption that there there would be so i i just did uh i just did pete's for him unless you want to do a different one pete no i think i think one would just be like you bore me like very definitive. <laughs> and it's just a picture of a polar bear and just says you bore me or saying like you know i disagree 
or they're just short. The polar bear doesn't have to mince words because it can mince flesh. So it can just it goes right ahead there. It just puts it right out there, Hemingway style. Give me so. a polar bear in the water. Like I hopes you enjoyed driving's your Hummer. I feel like polar bears would frown. On- <laughs> That's a good message. But I feel like polar bears would frown on bad grammar or usage. I feel like they're very exact animals. <laughs> My destroyed habitats. Let me show you the lack of them. <laughs> It's like you, you, you killed my home, you, you jerk. I guess that's more of a South Park kind of thing. I don't know, but yeah, oh, Hummer. Actually, it's funny that you never would have bet that Hummer would go out of business before polar bears were extinct, but they're just beating them. Um, Hummer's getting wound down by GM, right? So, in that in that particular race to the bottom, Hummer <laughs> is faster. Exactly. Exactly. So, moving on to Mr. Mark Lee in uh, the lovely Park Slope neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. No sleep till said no neighborhood sleep of Brooklyn. Till BK. Yes. Okay. So here's my here's my pick. The uh, what makes cats so perfect for law cats is a couple of things. One, pictures of them are ubiquitous, um, and they're you know easily recreatable with if you have a cat in your home. But more importantly than that, their faces are uh, are quite expressive. Which allows them to be sort of um, what's the word where you take a, a an animal and you know transcribe human properties to it? Anyone? Anthropomorphism. Vocabulary. Anthropomorphism. Yes. Um, so the, the those two criteria. <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm laughing because for, for the, the pictures of the polar bears that are being thrown in the ustream are quite amusing um, and sad as well too. So <laughs> polar bears stuck on a very very small chunk of ice. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So those two criteria for a lol animal, one ubiquity and two expressiveness. Uh, the next one clearly is the lolly gaga. Um, Lady Gaga image macros, I think, are far overdue. <laughs> Anyone? Lolly gaga. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as an as a, uh, example of this, this is very specific to me, but um, uh, there's sort of a Lady Gaga subculture amongst my most of the females in my office. So basically it would be I'm in your office culture's corrupting your females <laughs> um That's... which if any of my coworkers are listening to this which i really hope they're not um they would appreciate <laughs> that and how lady gaga has taken over the office culture in some strange insidious way really? yes you're allowed I, I thought that you were all kind of faceless drones in the uh oh no bureaucracy no, no, for no. which for which you toil day in and day out no, uh, there's a lot of okay to say there's a lot of uh quirky females in the 20s and 30s who really enjoy lady gaga and me they enjoy you, or is that a dangling modifier? Sorry, that was a dangling modifier. Oh, okay. <laughs> <All> right, cool. <laughs> they enjoy... Yeah, I enjoy a good scotch, and your body <laughs> also enjoys a good scotch. <laughs> that, that's something that something could be a Lady Gaga lyric. I enjoy a good scotch, and your body. Perhaps, perhaps. You think she likes quality liquor? I don't really know that much about... Well... Just met her. Hey, oh, liquor. <laughs> I'm sorry. That All was right, that's that's disqualification. Even though it wasn't. <laughs> oh, God, some of this. Uh, sorry, the video stream may be NSFW. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Moving on to uh, beautiful Philadelphia, uh, where I'm told it's always sunny. Mr. Joshua McNeil. I think uh, the the next frame is going to be uh, uh, drug resistant bacteria. LOL. <laughs> Mercy. Um, <laughs> you know, Mark was talking about you need ubiquity, and they're really everywhere. So uh, I've seen you know pictures of cute little things with lots of uh, cilia, or and or uh, the other thing that I learned about twelve years ago that I don't remember that moves bacteria around. Flagella. Flagella, thank you. Um, yes. How did I forget that word? Uh, but, you know, something along the lines of, like, I am in your body. Uh, yeah. I am tearing up your internal organs uh, with a Z. <laughs> uh, the other one I, I would like or to see just would be, just be you know, uh, LOL no Humans, the, uh, the most dangerous LOL game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I do. Th- I mean, Mark sort of covered that one with Lady Gaga, so uh, uh, <laughs> bacteria is what I'm sticking with. She is quite a dangerous game. She is. What with the, what with the poker and the faces. See, I like yes. the bacteria resistant, uh, the antibiotic resistant bacteria, because no place on the planet needs laughter more than a hospital, and no place has more antibiotic resistant bacteria than a hospital. So it all it's works. True. Out. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, just, they think that all those people that we're keeping alive artificially, like given access to Photoshop, could be a, a great factory for comedy. <laughs> it's not quantity of life, it's really quality of life that counts. 
Sorry, that was a little bit. And bleak. mine, uh, <laughs> sorry, is it, time for, is it time for mine yet? I yes, jump in so that I stop saying things that aren't life affirming at all. <laughs> I, uh, mine's going to be a lull. In, in our increasingly litigious American society, I, I want to have a lull sexual harassment panda. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say lol years for a second there. <laughs> well, that's, that's definitely a better joke. Thanks for showing me up. <laughs> Kapow! Jerk. <laughs> lol Fenzel. It's just a picture. Of, never mind. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so um, what, is the, what does the panda say, Matt? I don't know. I just can't. I, I'm a sad panda. I is a sad panda. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, 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 I in your sensitivity. There? I in your sensitivity training. You know, uh, <laughs> making making you afraid to go to work. I mean, I have to say, like maybe you guys don't read the same awful message boards that I do, but like Pedo Bear is pretty much a, a constant out there on the internet. Uh, who is uh, pretty close to lol sexual harassment? I am not searching you guys on Google for for Pedo Bear to put up on the, <laughs> to put up on the video stream because God. I don't knows. really know where he comes from, but he's a meme that shows up. He's sort of similar to the uh, "Have a seat over there" guy, and I forget what his name is. Um, you know, the guy who had that show to catch a predator. If that's even still on at this point, yeah. you can tell how much TV I've been watching lately because uh, I got rid of my Dish Network. But yeah, no, he's like all over the place, and it's like uh, you'll read a news story about like you know somebody who you know did something with a student, like a teacher and a student, and then someone will put a picture of this pedo bear up there. Um, it just sort of shows where the popular culture goes in places when you don't give it light and ventilation, and like funguses grow on it, um, ideological funguses, fungi, fungi. <laughs> Chris Hansen, thank you, Ustream. Chris Hansen is the name of the guy, and I'm counting that as a victory. In Guys, your, do you realize? Uh, I mean, Ustream your... now acts as Google. We don't have to Google anymore. We can just <laughs> no. ask for information, and <laughs> it magically have, appears. We have dozens of people who will who will Google for us. Hey, if you're uh, like if you're a guest yeah. in the chat, you can you. I guess you have to sign up for a Ustream username and password to actually be a um, uh, to actually be a participant in the chat room. Uh, all right, it's a listener feedback. Oh, uh, speaking of Matt, sorry. real quick, yeah, Matt, before you go on, I wanna, I wanna just throw. Out, we had a couple of great suggestions for LOL animals. Uh, my favorite being uh, LOL Ketzel Quaddle uh, <laughs> from Terradome, but we also had uh, the LOL Lovecraft creations or LOL Cthulhu from. Uh, there, there were several of those, I believe. From uh, Pop Intellect and some others. Uh, that's you know, please make those and send them to us. We'll put them on the site. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, all right. Oh, I, I, I remember a joke. A mushroom walks into the bar. The bartender says, we don't serve your kind here. And the mushroom says, why? I'm a fun guy. <laughs> Did someone uh, say fungus? Uh, I don't know. It's the uh, listener feedback show. Hopefully the listeners sh- have better jokes than we do. Let's jump into the voicemails. We're jumping. I have jumped already. Oh, I'm like both. I jumped four now. miles at a time. You yeah. guys aren't. Uh, you guys aren't hearing it, are you? No, <laughs> you're not hearing it. The uh, the chat room was hearing it. All right, we're gonna go to the emails while I figure out how to get the voicemails. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, how I get the voicemails into the audio feed. Not totally sure about that one. Let's go on to the emails. This one from Kat. Uh, her lat long is uh, 40.71 degrees north, 73.99, oh, let's call it 74 degrees west. Greetings, rotating membership of the Overthinking Podcast. I don't have a long, involved rant to indulge in at the moment that could spawn various digressions and detours on its path to unparalleled brilliance. That's a um, thank you for that. By the yeah. way, <laughs> gosh, uh, I will say that it is a long email, though. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd like to say that in appealing to your particular niche, in a, in an attempt not to alienate some of the female audience, perhaps you could lay off the semi-frequent criticisms of fan fiction. I connect this to your much earlier advice, going backwards through the pro- podcasts, uh, and she's arrived at the late forties. Um, that the right that writing one does. Oh, cat! Writing as one does as an English major will not be much help to the type of writing that is employed by novelists. Thus, I think I'm I'm being able to utilize a resource with a wide range of available peer review that is a relatively safe space. 
uh, is invaluable to budding writers. I think she's making the point that, like, the fan fiction websites uh, are good. She goes on to talk about the film um, Love Story. I think we're going to skip Love Story the, and the, deal the with fil- The film she's, Love she's Story? She's talking about the song Love Story. Oh, the Taylor Swift As much Swift as we all enjoyed Taylor Swift's Story. directorial debut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, skipping, skipping that and talking about fan fiction. Wait, I didn't realize we were particularly hard on fan fiction. I mean, I think it's a kind of thing where it gets taken out of context because we actually really love fan fiction um, and we joke about it, but it's like a, a sort of kind joking. But I guess for people who aren't familiar with the context of our relationship or at least some of the writer's relationship with fan fiction, um, you might not be as familiar uh, with the context, you may think that we're actually trying to insult now, it. Now, to be fair, I think if not on the podcast and on the site, we've definitely um, called out the weird creepiness of like various uh, more erotic fan fiction. Uh, oh yeah, so, so, yeah. Genres. I mean, and well, that, this is like, I mean, this is like saying you dislike film, right? Fan fiction is just a medium. Like, <laughs> there's good fan fiction and there's bad fan fiction. Like you don't hate the medium; you hate certain aspects of it. Mm-mm. So, I mean, uh, and, yeah. and love other aspects of it. So, if we've been harsh, we, we'll just have to be clearer in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say that uh, between about what was it, two thousand and maybe two thousand and two, and like two thousand and four, maybe even the early two thousand and five, a number of the writers on overthinking it, uh, most notably, I think Belinky, but I was with Belinky for a lot of that time period, like living with him and stuff. Um, but also I think Schechner was involved in it. So also we got involved in sort of a lengthy pseudo intellectual investigation of fan fiction, like reading lots and lots of fan fiction all over the internet, trying to determine what makes it tick. Uh, Baliki in particular was kind of obsessed with figuring out how fan fiction worked. And like, cause she, he recognized what Kat's talking about in her email, which is that there are robust writer communities who dedicate lots of time and energy to fan fiction. Uh, and as such, like it is a form of literature that sort of deserves our attention. Um, and this, of course, culminated in the penning of Belinky's opus, uh, Red Pants, Blue Pants, which I'll give him the opportunity to talk about at some point, which was some fan fiction he wrote about Contra that was in multiple parts, uh, I think was listed. I don't know if it was ever on Overthinking It. It might have been – a section of it might have been put on Overthinking It a long time ago, uh, but it might have been on one of our previous websites that it saw air. But we also produced uh, – I think Schechner wrote the Mensch und Pac-Mensch Pac-Man fan fiction. There was a one-act play that Belinky wrote about the funeral of Pac-Man. A lot of it was around video games. That was the fan fiction we really Yeah, it was, it was uh, Death of a Pac-Man. Death of a Pac-Man is what and it was called. My, like, my favorite part – I got I to gotta call this out because I thought it was particularly mm-hmm. brilliant uh, – yeah. Is when uh, when everyone makes a sign of the cross at the end of the funeral. Apparently, it's a Catholic funeral or a video game Catholic funeral. They yeah. uh, they cross themselves up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, and then they all say out loud, uh, "Ba start." Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to take some credit for that joke, but it was a long time ago, so we can all argue about it. <laughs> but a lot of our projects back then were pseudo-collaborative because we would like be shooting the breeze over a Stromboli or, or pizza or whatnot. Um, so yeah, so so I mean, and I personally am a, a, a regular reader of Naruto, which is of course uh, surrounded by one of the most uh, lush fan fiction uh, communities on the internet, particularly, and they do write a lot of erotic fan fiction too. Now I don't read that erotic fan fiction, so I don't know a lot about it. Uh, and I, I will confess, I do make fun of erotic fan fiction from time to time. I think it's funny. Um, I think that <laughs> I don't want to really diminish or seriously insult the people who engage in erotic fan fiction writing. I think it has its place. Um, but I do think that there's something about it that's funny, and I would have to imagine the people who do it recognize that there's something that's funny about it, right? Uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a community that is very sort of sensitive about how exposed and vulnerable they make themselves by putting their work out there and don't appreciate being joked about. But I would think that, like, by writing a sex story about ninjas, you, like, appreciate <laughs> that there's something – like, like that's, there's something funny about that. And it's not necessarily an insult. Uh, it's like that there's – that why is it that we would write a sex story about ninjas when you could write a sex story that isn't about ninjas? I'm going to read off some, like, uh, some story counts off of uh, fanfiction.net. These are the yeah. TV shows. Um, you know, Ali McBeal, 87, right? Uh, according to Jim, two, 30 Rock, 124, <laughs> uh, Pushing Daisies, 263, Red Dwarf, 634. Whoa, that's a lot for an old show. Yeah, but it's also, it's a science fiction show, so the, yep. there's probably, like, it's got a big internet demographic, right? Right, 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 right. Um, yep. 
uh, Guiding Light, 332, Punky Brewster, 4, Hannah Montana. Touched by an Angel. Tell us about Touched by an Angel. <laughs> Hannah Montana, 10,612. Yes. Wow, we have a winner. Hey, that actually that actually uh, reminds me of something I wanted to mention. Uh, and what she had written is that it, in, in to attempt to you know to not alienate the female audience, we should lay off of the criticism of fan fiction. I guess in that she's applying that um, a, a large portion of the fan fiction audience is female, or a lot of the potential listeners of our show who are female could also be fan fiction writers. Some combination thereof. The more the latter seems more likely. To me, well, there's also I actually edited a friend's paper that he wrote on this for a class that I didn't take at Yale that was called Girls Culture and Contemporary Society. So I feel authorized and, and authoritative to speak on the matter because I want. You are a man. Spelling. Yeah. Really well, cold. the thing is that I think that that there is a precedent in fan fiction. And specifically the sort of or fan fiction of Kirk slash Spock fan fiction of fan fiction providing an outlet for women who want to write about sort of non-traditional sexualities um, for their own sort of sexual exploration and using the characters on TV and the sort of unspoken subliminal relationships that they are speculated to be having um, as a sort of voice for this. And it, I would compare it um, to the same tradition of like the Shakespearean fool where by putting it in this framework, you make it acceptable to talk about it because you made it so enough um, that you've protected yourself from from being from any sort of personal accusations of deviancy. At least that's what my interpretation would be. Maybe I'm wrong, but my interpretation of it would be: it's okay for me to write about Spock and Kirk being gay in a time period where being gay is not something that people talk about because Spock and Kirk aren't real people, and thus it is not really defamation against them. Um, so it's less dangerous. It's safer. You're pulling away into fantasy. It's okay if it's a fantasy. Right, as opposed to writing about like real people or making people up, who you would then have to take some sort of responsibility for as your own characters. So I also, think also, also, Pete Spock's lack of emotion makes it emotionally safe to write about. <laughs> of well, obviously, Spock's lack of emotion is a big part part of the sort of uh, exploration, like the male, the emotional male versus the unemotional male, and and the sort of sexual relationship with that. Um, it's heteronormative without being traditional, um, and without really being as as uh, down the middle as, as it might be regularly. But yeah, I mean, I do think that there's a precedent for that, historically. I don't necessarily know whether it's still the case out there. I've, I've known some women who've been involved in the in fandom, um, and fandom being like the sort of general phrase for the really hardcore, uh, you know, making fan movies, writing fan fiction, associated with the, almost the extended literature of a particular show. Um, I won't name names just out of respect for confidentiality, but I knew some people in the fandom of Queers Folk who would make uh, Queers Folk videos and, and write Queers Folk stories. Um, you know, and it's, again, it's a sort of women exploring their own sexuality by using these characters as a way of talking about gender and talking about um, their their own sort of fantasy lives. And it was something they got really emotional about, and it's something they took very seriously. Um, so I guess we shouldn't diminish that. But at the same time, like, you write a sex story about ninjas, I feel like I have to make fun of it at some point, or else I'm not doing my job. Like, I mean, there's some sort of controversy. There's, like, there's like a tension there where it's like, it's right there. Like, they're having sex with ninjas. Come on. You gotta get out there and make fun of it. And I just wish, urge you not to take it seriously, because I hope we don't take ourselves that seriously while we're doing it. And it's also something that we have a certain... Uh, uh, sympathy for ourselves so clearly I mean, the the real sex people on hbo need to do like a thoughtful documentary piece about this to bring it into the mainstream uh, it, they very well may have i mean i certainly haven't watched that show since i was like 16 so uh, but um, that's what we all say pete i just google image uh, searched for uh fanfic and that's <laughs> <laughs> sorry everybody <laughs> Mm. Oh, by the way, my favorite fan fiction ever. My favorite, favorite fan fiction ever. Can anybody find that crazy taxi fan fiction? <laughs> that was the funniest thing in the universe. Oh, my God. Actually, it might even be short enough that it would be... Does anybody... Okay, people in the Ustream, have you guys played Crazy Taxi? So it's a, it's a video game where you're driving a taxi cab and you're picking people up and you have to drop them off across town in like 10 seconds and it's all very fast and they're playing Offspring. Dome's played it. He no, knows what I'm talking about. So there's this wonderful fan fiction story I once read about Crazy Taxi where it's like the, the daughter is... Uh, the daughter is eating some ice cream in the back. Oh, the daughter is in the back seat of the car. And the mom's in the front seat of the car, and they're pulling back out of their driveway. 
And um, the daughter's like, can we get ice cream? And the mom's like, oh, you know, like, you're going to spoil your appetite for dinner. And she's like, but I want ice cream. It's like, okay, we'll get ice cream. It's like, can I get chocolate ice cream? And it's like, you can get mint chocolate ice cream. Oh, that's great. I love to get mint chocolate ice cream. At that point, like, slam. And, uh, and uh, oh, B, B, what's his name? BD Joe. BD Joe's car slams into the back of the car, like, spinning it around and tossing it into the air. The mother and daughter are instantly killed. And in their dying, uh, their dying moments, they hear echoing in the distance crazy taxi <laughs> um so i don't know it, it maybe you had to be there it works better on paper but uh it's just, of course the the joke is the juxtaposition of the dangerous and reckless driving of the crazy dra- taxi drivers and the consequences that it has on their environment oh and i you thought don't get the that. joke was that it was a shaggy dog story shaggy dog story isn't isn't the joke that it's abusive of the audience's attention Oh, is that what the Shaggy Dog story is? Maybe you can explain to me what that means. It means it means a story that kind of goes on and on and on and has no point, except for the fact that it goes on and on and on to abuse your attention. Oh, no, I mean, the, the story's like four paragraphs long. I guess so. I mean, it just seemed longer in the telling. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, enough. Pete. That was good. I was just giving you crap. Uh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I just want to make sure that... I'm doing the fan fiction justice because it hurts me when I hear that there's part of our readership that's hurt by the work that we do because our readership are special people who come to our website for special things and we want to provide them with the best that we can do because otherwise they can go to any number of other places. So. You know, you can't – but e- even every show can't be – even our show can't be all things to all people. But if you don't like the way the show is going, write some fanfic. <laughs> Write some overthinking overthinking it fanfic, you know? Holy holy crap. And then Fenzel declared... (laughs) uh, I was trying to do erotic fanfiction about Fenzel, and I just couldn't bring myself to say it. (sighs) Fenzel was having sex. It went on for a really long time. It was really enthusiastic, but everybody kind of lost track of what was going on. McNeil's breathing became shallow and labored <laughs> because he's been smoking for 20 years. Luckily, looked into her eyes and could think only that he wished they would glow red. <laughs> I, I was waiting for the Terminator reference to come out. Vis me. Yeah, Mark Lee <laughs> slash Summer Glau as the uh, as the sexy lady Terminator fanfic. Oh my goodness! Huh? Uh, I would read that. I would read that. Um, <laughs> no, the other part of the email that uh, that uh, had had to do with Taylor Swift and Love Story, which rather you clearly are not familiar with, right? No, I'm not. I'm not. I thought that because if it meant you were the, uh, the 1970s right. or 60s motion picture. All right, so I really, I really would actually want to hear what you have to say about this because the the song Love Story is Taylor Swift's, I believe, her first big hit, and it's kind of you know uh, you know the a retelling of the Romeo and Juliet story. Um, you know, this love is difficult, but it's real, I believe is one of the, um, uh, one of the lyrics from it. And, um, not surprisingly at the end, the twist of course, is not that they both kill each other in a tragic suicide. It's, um, marry me, Juliet. You'll never have to be alone. I love you. That's all I really know. I talked to your dad. Hey, and he's okay with it. Right. <laughs> pick out a white dress. It's a love story, baby. Just say yes. So I was wondering if you, how you saw that sort of like a bastardization or misappropriation, of you know classic Shakespearean tragedy into some you know teen bubblegum or if there had yet anything else to say well, about that. Well, um, uh, I mean, okay, you know, are you sure you want to uncork this particular bottle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but- <laughs> you gotta rub me the right way, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Romeo and Juliet is a good model, though it's the one that we all read in the eighth grade, right? I'm not sure it's a good model for classical Shakespearean tragedy. Uh, because the the critical commonplace about it is that it's somehow defective as a tragedy because the um, the downfall of the lover seems foreordained rather than being generated by uh, some kind of tragic defect in their personalities, as is the case in the you know the greatest hits, uh, Macbeth, o- Othello, Lear, etc. Ridiculous right? obsession doesn't count as a character flaw. No, there's their their love. I don't think they're. I think if you really read Romeo and Juliet and and actually read the text of it rather than um, actually read the text of it rather than 
uh, the cliff rather notes. than the, the cultural apparatus that's that's come up around it and and the kind of the various meanings that it's acquired over time their 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 love is is perfectly normal and if they could just kind of get married and be happy right like that's what marriage is for it's a it's a structure to kind of tame and make socially acceptable those uh you know those funny feelings that you have down there in in your no no place. <laughs> yes, no, those no feelings. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's really more the fault of Romeo and Juliet is the fault is in the world, right? Like the fault is in is in a social arrangement that can't contain a perfectly normal erotic attachment of uh of two um. Uh, to you know, post adolescent uh, teenagers, right? Like, um, as uh, I mean, as um, as uh, as the county Paris says, you know, younger than she are happy mothers made. So this is clearly a society where we're not supposed to see their their teenage uh, state as a, as an impediment to their love, but rather as being kind of the prime time, you know. So the difference is in the world. So the reason the Taylor Swift story has a happy ending is because the world now doesn't force teenagers to kill themselves yeah. when they want to have sex with each other. Instead, they just put on chastity rings and have sex with each other. Um, oh, wait, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, use condoms and have sex with each other, which is a smart thing to do if you don't want to get yourself sick or pregnant. Um, sorry, I don't mean to get political on that, but that's, that's, uh, I, I feel, I feel like I don't want to spread recklessness, but I guess in the song, they don't have sex, right? They get no, married. Oh, you know what? We can't, we have no kind of show when we're worried about offending everyone all the damn time, right? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, oh, the fanfic people are, are going to come after us. They're going to come after us with their, you know, I don't know, Hello Kitty lunchboxes and their, you know. <laughs> Gosh darn it. And I'm I, saying, I did all the- bring it on, fanfic. Fake people, bring it on! We're ready for you. We're overthinking it. We'll uh, we'll uh, offend you. You know our hesitant. I, you know, cribbing from the chat room. Our hesitancy to offend offends me. Um, you know, you're in for a world of pain, a digi world of pain, full of digital monsters <laughs> that I, they're having sex with each other. In my family. We gotta go on. We've done. We've been what? We've been broadcasting for half an hour, and we've done exactly one letter. So going on. Um, Aiden from Seattle. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Stephen Fry, uh, writer, comedian, actor, perhaps best person ever. Also, uh, Apple Mac enthusiast and prolific Twitterer. Uh, but I would love for you to listen to his podcast, specifically the one about language. I really think you would enjoy or argue. Uh, you would find you. I really think you would enjoy or argue against. That I don't sentence, think those are mutually exclusive. Yeah. No. Uh, that sentence has no... Predicate? Direct object. <laughs> yeah, Direct exactly. Object, yeah. Um, uh, well, thanks, Aiden from Seattle. Okay, Stephen Fry, podcast about language. Get on it. Uh, get on it, uh, Overthinker. Let's just talk about it now. Clearly, we're not going <laughs> to listen to it, so we should just talk about it right now. Uh, Wade uh, writes in from 35 degrees, 52 minutes north, 78 degrees, 47 minutes west. Wade says, uh, piggybacking on the discussion of ethnic sitcoms in episode 76, the thing that I hate about sitcoms is the utter failure to portray the internet as anything but nerd city. Even such supposedly nerd-centric shows as The Big Bang Theory, the internet's uh, even... In su- Sorry, I left out the preposition. Even in such supposedly nerd-centric shows as The Big Bang Theory, the Internet's only two functions ever seem to be as a conglomerate retailer for weird merchandise, as in, I bought this from the Internet, as, uh, or and also a place to update my Facebook status. Uh, are the interwebs simply not yet as mainstream as we'd like to think they are, or is it just a sign that Hollywood is still run by a bunch of Luddites? Keep the podcast have- site going. It's a blast. Thanks, Wade. I have, I have two things to say about this. One, he leaves out the, the porn. Uh, I think TV often references internet as a source of porn. Yeah. Uh, I think back to Rather and My favorite show in which Leo McGarry refers to the internet as a faster vehicle for porn and gossip. <laughs> um, but I think this actually, there may be a sort of a hint of truth to this in that Hollywood is really afraid of the internet. Sure. Right. I mean, they're they're starting to embrace it with Hulu and sort of putting their shows online. But for the longest time, they sort yeah. of saw it as the thing that was going to destroy them. So why would they, why would they use their air to draw your attention to it in a positive way? 
Um, I think that we're, we're seeing less of that now. Just be, it's inevitable that they're going to have to. It's such a daily fact of life for most people that for them to stay sort of relevant, they're going to have to talk about it. But I can certainly see from their perspective why you wouldn't want to. Um, that'd be like, I mean, for example, in, in the movies back before, as TV was sort of exploding, I doubt you've very, I doubt you saw people sitting around watching TV in the movies. Mm. They didn't want that to become a cultural norm. Mm. Is that why they put the Germans instead of the Russians, why they had German actors playing Russians in, in uh, movies that had Soviets in them? It's because they didn't want to show you actual Russians because they'd be too awesome. No, I know. I see what you. <laughs> another another possibility is um, they're sort of slavishly following kind of writers' shortcuts um, or like writers' rules of thumb, where when you have two characters in a play or in a screenplay or in a teleplay, you want to have them talking to each other directly. And the internet uh, and internet discourse is problematic because it's it depicting it isn't vivid. Right, like showing two people. Ch- I don't know if you've ever seen a TV show or a movie where two people have like chatted with each other on the internet. Um, like Swim Fan comes to mind. Uh, you've got mail. You've oh one god, of the first notable examples. Yeah, I mean like uh, these, the film. They're... The film Closer, uh, based on the <laughs> stage play. Fair enough. I mean, like I feel like de- de- Jude Law. Yeah, sorry. Depictions of online chat are almost all as lame as well. We all know depictions of hacking, right? Depictions of like computers and hacking are always like needlessly made much more dramatic than they need to be, or than they would ever be, because they have to be watchable. But like watching someone type at a keyboard is not interesting. You want to see the people in person. Um, so much in the same way as a, as a screenwriter or telewriter will take experiences or problems that they've encountered with older people and make them happen to younger people because younger people are sexier and funner to look at. They will take problems that happen on the internet and put them face to face because it is more vivid to watch people talk about it than to watch them chat about it. Um, sure. Pete, I'm going to disagree with you though because I think we've all been sitting here watching Matt Rather sit at his computer for the last half hour <laughs> and very entertained. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess I've been disproven. I just was offering playing uh, devil's advocate there for a second. So, oh man. So yeah, how's the uh, thumbs up for Matt Rather <laughs> <laughs> on the internet? Yeah, guys. Uh, yeah, the internet. And you know, yeah, the internet, man. Well, now you're seeing that the internet is actually helping television and helping movies it's finally gotten they've what they figured out is they're doing it with with the twitters right they're doing it with like the twitters and the market research and the trend driving they finally figured out how to get people to go see things based on what they see on the internet which is i think why i read an article in the new york times about this recently why the olympics have been getting really good ratings why the super bowl got such great ratings um and you can even say avatar you know avatar due in in some small part to our own site the controversy surrounding on the internet drove awareness of the brand do a very small very very small part to our own site drove awareness of the brand and sort of compel people this is the thing to do right because the thing that saves big media from technological advance is the tent pole is the event right that's like the towering inferno lesson which is you can survive a technological obsolescence of your material and your content by making your provision of it an event in itself and creating it an entertainment experience around the release of your media uh, and so if you can figure out how to use the internet to do that, it's helping you rather than hurting you. But you can't do that for too many movies at once. So that's I want kind of to point out that, Pete, it's not, um, it's not maybe in small part due to our own site. If you search Google for, uh, Google for Avatar <laughs> Sucks, you'll see that the Overthinking It article is the second uh, article for it just after AvatarSucks.com. <laughs> so uh, – you know, we, we rank highly for Avatar Sucks, the query. So, you know, I think- we really should have bought that URL. Yeah. What right. were we thinking? <laughs> what were- so, so many Google ads we could have sold on it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I have problems with mass media adopting the internet because it's not right. Mass media is structured around a one to many form of communication. And the internet is based on a a one-to-one, many-times form of communication, uh, much of it in public. So that it's it seems like so that it seems like there are many people going on, but you can't you know you you have to engage every. I think a lot of people who who get on the internet are a lot of big brands um, that get on the internet are kind of taken aback by how much uh, they have to interact with every individual fan. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That's definitely true. And also, they're um, 
company cultures and, and, and brands in entertainment and elsewhere are really troubled by the fact that you can't escape negative feedback on the internet. Right. And so if you're – say that you're – you know, well, George Lucas is showing up on our video there. Like if George Lucas and his company in making like The Phantom Menace have to go on the internet and figure out what the fans are saying, they're going to say a lot of bad stuff about the movie. And if the rumors about his organization are true and it can't tolerate negative feedback, like that creates a pretty big organizational problem for implementing that technology. Like how are you going to use the internet to make a Star Wars sequel better if you will not respond at all when somebody says that it sucks? Because people are going to tell you it sucks. Because most of the stuff on the internet is hateful. And it's, yeah, this sucks. That sucks. I hate you. You're awful. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know what I always say on these things? If they're not yelling at you, you're doing it wrong. Because if they're yelling at you, at least shows that they care. So, um, not that you shouldn't take the feedback seriously. Just that, you know, you're going to have detractors no matter what you say. So you shouldn't get all up in a bunch about it. Up in a bunch. In a bunch of what? In a bunch of uh, in a bunch of uh, rainforest canopy. Pete, you're you're branches. you're dangerously close to offending someone. <laughs> nerds. <laughs> we got a bunch of. I, I was going to play those voicemails for you. We got a bunch of voicemails with people oh, screaming good. nerds into the phone. If you want to call zero three two eight five six four zero one and scream nerds at us, we would we would uh, uh, we would like it. All right, Dave from the Chiefs. Wouldn't po- real nerds be able to stream those voicemails onto this podcast? Oh, sick burn. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I don't like that. Oh, no! <laughs> That's what I have to say. Uh, that that moment made, makes no sense to you if you're only watching the audio podcast. Uh, all right. Dave from the Cheap and Dirty Podcast. Um, oh, uh, d- nice, Dave. Nice. Way to, get a, way to get a name check for your podcast on the Overthinking It show. Uh, lately, I've been noticing how often biblical quotes are slipped into the podcast. Oh, I've talked about this before. Usually it's subtle, but sometimes it's more explicit. At first, I thought it was a fluke, but it's been seven or eight episodes in a row now. What are you guys? Some kind of secret cabal of priests overthinking popular <laughs> culture? Anyway, yes. I've been enjoying the podcast. Avatar podcast especially stuck out, uh, although I was hoping to hear the word avatar did enter the overthinking <laughs> lexicon <laughs> thanks dave wait i am the- so offended by that <laughs> <laughs> that's offensive dave from the cheap and dirty podcast yes and you can find dave at the cheap and dirty podcast if you want to go Guys, uh, uh what was that what was that matt where could we find him you can find dave at the cheap and dirty podcast let me uh, oh, okay. throw up the web page up here in the video feed here uh all right you well, guys thanks. you guys you, sh- you should never go full avatar <laughs> we should still learn our lesson. That's, Wait, that's did, did we have a definition James, for avatar? Is let yet to learn. Uh, yeah. Are we? Are we um, biblical? Are we overly biblical? Yeah. Well, I think that honest. I think we have to be. Well, it's not that we have to be, but I think it's in keeping with our mission because you know the very the very. Um, practice of textual interpretation as we've all learned it comes from the study of hermeneutics right which is in turn a scriptural and and biblical study um the act of overthinking even as we all understand it is is something that has been done and the metaphor stands by clerics over the years and so part of us not taking ourselves very seriously and uh part of ourselves inflating artificially the importance of our own commentary for comedic effect is to juxtapose against things of like you know great self self imposed seriousness such as scripture uh, we 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 attempt to speak with a certain authority and um i think that there's something intrinsically scriptural about that act as as a writer or as a performer uh, when you try to speak with that kind of authority you are being scriptural um uh again this comes back to one of my favorite works of uh, miltonism Poetic Authority by John Guillory, which uh, talks about sort of um, how different kinds of literature, particularly Milton and Spencer, aspiring to post-scriptural scriptural authority um, and sort of an attempt to remake society without you know taking away the values. I was going to say dechristianizing it, but uh, to be more generic about it, taking away the values that you find important about it, or Put, setting yourself diametrically opposed to the authorities of your day, uh, politically. So, so I think that we invoke scripture because it is a a literary form of authority that we both lampoon and like utilize in our own self importance for our own comedic effect, and also because it's important to literature and um, the history of literature and the history of culture, uh, whether you agree with it or not. I think that the overthinkers, by and large, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, are of that sort of 
uh, some of us are of that dying breed of person who, when we experienced or practiced or talked about religion, didn't really see it as fundamentally a political act. Uh, and this is something that um, I think died a little bit during the Bush presidency because of the sort of intensity of the, the sort of um, diametric political opposition between like Christian politics and unchristian politics and the whole debate over the abortion stuff, really kind of, and all the birth control stuff and all that nonsense. I mean, I feel like it, it is possible to be part of and participate in a religious culture without being proselytizing, without being political about it, without trying to force your ideas on anybody, just sort of seeing it as part of the books that you've read and the things that you've thought. Um, I mean, we could do a whole thing about what we all all think personally some other time. Um, It's very complicated. Um, But it's part of what we think, so it's part of what we overthink. Did I cover all bases on that, Matt? Absolutely. Sean, I think you did the uh, Loathing podcast. Uh, no, Sean uh, from Kingdom of, uh, says that Kingdom of Loathing, fine podcast, Kingdom of Loathing podcast. Uh, we have a great deal of overlap in our listenership, and I think we have a, um, a similar sensibility. It's available on the internet at, uh, what is it, kingdomofloathing.com, something like that. You know, if you search, actually, if you search the Overthinking It podcast, uh, it'll show up uh, on iTunes. It'll show up as one of our, you know, listeners who liked OTIP also liked, uh, and there are several Kingdom of Loathing podcasts also, and they send us listeners. I hope we send them listeners, uh, and I think that the shows have maybe similar sensibilities. Anyway, Kingdom of Loathing, good on you. This this show brought to you by Kingdom of Loathing, uh, and uh, Kingdom of Loathing guys. That'll be a uh, uh, let's call it a forty dollars CPM on that uh, on that little impromptu <laughs> ad. Uh, Sean, uh, writing in from 43 degrees, 23 minutes north, 80 degrees, 25 minutes west. Uh, I want to suggest a topic for overthinking that I think deserves attention as a genre. The primetime criminal investigation show. Sean, you're a man after my own heart. Possible vectors for overthinking include similarity and formula for plot structure, character archetypes, and realism versus representationalism, especially with science-heavy shows, and uh, the overall pace of the forensic and crime shows in modern television. uh, Overall place, rather, of the forensic and crime shows in modern television. Um, and then he says, uh, he reminds everyone to, uh, put in their location. Give us your latitude and longitude when you write in at podcast at overthinking com. Now I like procedural television and I like it for a, uh, particular reason. I think that it, um, at least when it, when it came around, it was a way of getting away from a lot of lazy writing in, uh, television, which is the kind of the psychological deterministic school of television, uh, you know, when I was a when I was a kid and saw my parents gunned down by a criminal, that's when I knew I wanted to be a cop, or you know, I saw a great injustice and I was um, you know determined to rectify it, and that's when I knew I wanted to to get a cop, you know, which comes in you know the it comes in the fourth act, right? You know, at about the uh, you know if you're watching on the clock, it's it's at at, at about the eight forty. 8844 mark right before the the climactic scene and the denouement right uh it's accompanied by it's accompanied by let's say the bass clarinet of reminiscence on the soundtrack <laughs> and um you know and that that this is like i think this is terrible i don't care about i don't care about characters backstories i think that's that's a lazy way to explain a lot of things in uh in a narrative, I want to know what they do, you know. Now, of course, and so that's why Law and Order was so um, revolutionary when it came on the air back in the day. Now, of course, it spawned a whole kind of lazy, uh, lazy thing itself. And I'm kind of disturbed by the genre because it seems to it seems to want to depict more and more brutality in the name of entertaining us. Anyway, uh, my two cents. Uh, what do you was think, one of the guys? other lazy? Was one of the other types of lazy writing you were thinking that it was? getting away from was it the deus ex machina plot device as well too in what sense in that um i I was just saying you know what i was watching actually the other day it was um human target now we've talked about this on on the show before um and i I saw a couple of episodes and they both seem to hinge on um a, a little bit on extremely good luck or coincidence or Slightly deus ex machina, the awful, what's the awful thing? Oh, um, you know, the computer hacker is so good that, you know, she can uh, download the aircraft control software onto the laptop and make that run the computer. Um, those types of 
implausible plot devices um, seem to be less likely to happen on a pr- more procedural show. Or maybe I haven't seen enough procedural shows to be... Are you uh, talking about the recent oh. episode of Human Target where the, uh, the computer hacker downloaded the, uh, the flight thing? Was that the most recent? I thought that was the pilot. Or two, two, uh, two ago? It was uh, an episode of Human Target. The pilot was with the super train. With the, yeah, there was no computer hacker. They were on the super monorail that was went from Los Angeles to San Francisco. Okay, so we've all just admitted that we're watching this show. Can we also admit that it's bad and yet you still kind of want to watch it? Human Target? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of it's crazy. You, yeah. you know it's why, awful, uh, but you know why I keep you, watching. You know why you want to watch it? Why is that? The music. Yeah. Music in that show is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, also, Mark Valley is just dreamy. <laughs> is he that dreamy? Chance. I like the guy. What's his name? Stevie Earl something something. What's Rorschach? that name? Yeah, Rorschach. His name is Rorschach. Yeah, For I all like the guy who played Rorschach in the Watchmen movie. I think he's really good in it. Um, Fair enough. I, and Jackson. But do you hear what I'm saying about the plot? The, the plot points. Jackie no. Earl Haley. Thanks, chat room. You're saying Jack what about Earl the plot Haley. points, Mark? You're about, saying that that the procedurals are getting less uh, grounded and their plots are kind of straying into places of absurdity. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that the, the the original intent of a procedural show was to avoid those types of pitfalls and just show something more straight up and more believable. And that's what procedural means. You, yeah. you mean it's like yeah. the procedure. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought then, the the point was that you could sort of churn them out and tie them to recent headlines and gin up an audience that way, and sort of. You know, be fairly lazy with the writing because you were writing the same show every week. Hey, no, uh, the following show is a work of fiction and not based on any actual person of, or event. Hmm. Uh huh. It, lo- it looks like the procedure has finished. Yeah! Uh, get fooled again? I guess no, so. I don't know. I like. I actually like I, I like Human Target, though it does not have a lot of it does not have a lot going for it. I guess when you. Uh, when you can, when you consider it. Now, there's a show, right? Like where they've taken out, or they're sort of hinting at the backstory. I guess uh, I was having breakfast the other day with a guy who had apparently read the pilot script through a friend of a friend of a friend, or something like that. And uh, the original pilot had more backstory in it. You know, the idea that you know, why is this guy driven to be the bodyguard for all you know for all these uh, people? Why does he put himself in harm's way in increasingly risky situations? Like, what is this particular death wish? about um and i guess it's coming out like it involves a it involves a girl right um uh, and shocking yeah right <laughs> yeah and that's uh i don't know yeah and uh, honestly like i want the action i wouldn't call human target a procedural though like i think it has to be based around a profession no like, no no that's what i'm saying that's the uh, that is the other type of that is the antithesis of the of the uh, of the procedural and that is a it is a high octane drama it's sure. an A-team clone, right? The A-team is like the epitome of that, Mark. We're like, these guys can, you know, oh, they're locked in a warehouse. <laughs> Fortunately, they know how to build tanks out of, you know, brass. This is something <laughs> so, that, like, I mean, this is something that we've talked about before, which is the, um, the balance between episodic and serialized elements on a, on a TV show, especially a long-running one. And for my money, the the one that does it the best is Burn Notice, right? Where in every episode you get a little. It's not like the X Files was, where where the the mythology episodes were. You know, every seven or eight weeks you'd get a couple mythology episodes. Burn Notice puts a little mythology in every single episode, and then does the adventure of the week. And that's the that's excuse me, that's the larger structure of the and. Um, Episode. And comes up with like a reasonable excuse to show you a pool full of girls in bikinis in every episode. And they're not even subtle about the cinematography. No. I mean, it's no, like, you know, that show has more shots of, of uh, pelvises than a urologist's office. Zing! <laughs> I really like Thunder in Paradise, which used to do that a lot. That was the Hulk Hogan has a stealth boat show. I like that show a lot. I have some of it on DVD. I just figured I'd share. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I like how Pete uses the podcast as a sort of confessional. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an improv rule. If you have nothing else to say, confess something. Right. It keeps things interesting. <laughs> yeah.
Glebe's uh, coordinates are uh, 41 degrees, 42 minutes north, uh, 71 degrees, 26 minutes west. My question is, now that J.D. Salinger has died, how long until someone agrees to a Catcher in the Rye movie starring Michael Sarah as Holden? I don't know. It's He's not going to be little... Michael Sarah. It's going to be the kid from Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> You think so? I don't know. I don't think I don't think he's got it. I don't think Michael mm. Sarah's got it either, actually. I think he's he's wrong for it. Holden Holden is not like adorable, you know, affably and adorably uh awkward. Holden is is full of piss and vinegar. Ideally you would have had a young Jake Gyllenhaal to do it. Um right cuz he sort of got that that edge to him a little bit. I don't know who you would have to do it, but now who's but, on the younger side? Because, yeah, um, wait, what are you saying, Mark? Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> Just oh, saying. You know what? That's, that's oh my probably, God, you're totally right. That's probably it. Though uh, <laughs> so he's supposed crap. to be a, a high school student, right? Because he's, um, he like breaks out of prep school or something. Chat room, who's going to play, who's going to play Holden? In the, no, uh, I have it. It's Dustin Hoffman through the magic of CGI. So I so I so I looked at the um the I looked up the catcher in the rye on IMDb and there's a movie that you can watch um that it says this is 75 minutes and 6 seconds of pure blue screen nothing less and nothing more <laughs> <laughs> and it's called the catcher in the rye um and it's by Nigel Tom uh all of his films are like this his purpose is Apparently, to let the audience imagine what's occurring on the screen without filming it. <laughs> what's wrong with this picture? This is the. Let me read the IMD review. What's wrong with this picture? Well, first off, this is a bleeping visual medium. You watch it to see images, and those images can mean different things depending on who you are. Depriving a film of its images is to rape and destroy everything that film stands for. <laughs> Would Bergman or Kubrick have come to be hailed as masters of cinematic art form if they just filmed the blue screen for 75 minutes? Bleep! No, they could create true art, not this fake ass wannabe art trash. So there. Go. Don't watch Catcher in the Rye the movie, which is apparently does not have Shia LaBeouf in it. But <laughs> Wait, so on the business end of it, though, what specifically about JD Salinger's death is now allowing this to be a possibility? Right? Doesn't the, don't the rights of that pass on to his estate, and they well, now yeah, have the, the control of it? Yeah, but how quickly till the lawyers like, well, let's make a few hundred million dollars? Yeah. I mean, the only reason that he wasn't franchising that stuff was his own his own wishes. Like, I would say his own vanity, if you think money is sort of the most important thing. But, like, his own wishes for how to use his work was the only reason that it wasn't being put out there. I mean, There's if he's great- not there to veto it, you know, his wife or whatever, not his wife, whoever is going to say so is going to be like, yeah, whatever, I'll take $100 million for somebody else's work, no problem. So, hey, if, a, you, uh, a- if you want a great, if you want to read some great IMDb reviews, uh, uh, <laughs> search on IMDb for Yale Athletes Broad Jumping. <laughs> this is yet another strange thing that we became obsessed with at one point, which was writing IMDb reviews. Yeah, we did, that we uh, did in <laughs> yeah. that we did in college. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. someone. Not in particular. No. I mean, okay. was anybody going with, on? Well, here hey. I, will, I, will, I will say one other thing, though. I will say one other thing. Um, uh, there is an IMDb reviewer, and I'm trying to remember exactly what his name is. Um, gosh, you know what? Never mind. I was just trying to remember who my favorite IMD reviewer was from the years that we used to be obsessed with IMD reviews. But I'm going to let you jump to the next thing because I can't remember his name right now. I, I want to say that uh, from the chat room, we have a serious suggestion of Kieran Culkin, uh, who's a pretty good actor, uh, to play Holden. But I think he may be – isn't he too old now? Was he the guy – was he the one that was in that movie with Claire Danes? But uh, – Paul B.D. writes in with a suggestion that Holden Caulfield be played by McLovin. <laughs> <laughs> Igby goes down. Th- Igby goes down. The name of the the name of the movie with uh, Karen Culkin and Claire Danes and Amanda Peet and oh god, I forget who else. Um, but thank you, Lazy Web. Thank you, Lazy Chat Room. Air D. Uh, all right, last email. I, we're not going to get to the. Um, we're not going to get to the uh, the voicemails. Two voicemails. I'll, I'll spoil the surprise. I just didn't get it set up right. I, oh. The audio is running a like a rat like maze through my computer to get from my headset to the Skype chat to the 
broadcast the live stream and I just didn't set it up. Uh, one was was the guy who wrote in saying Catullus 13 instead of Catullus 16, apologizing for uh, for g- getting that. And I have only one thing to say to you, Petacabo at Irumabo. Look it up. Uh, the <laughs> But not if you're under 18. Don't look it up in that case. Um, and uh, then there were two, two voicemails with people screaming, No! at us nerd so, if you want to scream nerds at us uh, call 203 and you do 6401 yes you know you do we're going to incorporate it into some kind of sound collage on the show alright finally uh, Bob writes in no lat long Bob long when you write in at podcastoverthinkingit.com Bob writes someone pointed this out which kind of blew my mind in Raiders of the Lost Ark Indiana Jones did Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing! Absolutely nothing! <laughs> Think of it. Uh, Tote would have gotten the whole uh, pendant from Marion. The Nazis would have dug in the right place. Belloc would have opened it on the island. And then, wow, same ending. The Nazis opened the thing and their faces all melt off. Rather than the Ark being abandoned in a warehouse, it would be abandoned on an island. But it would basically accomplish the same things. Don't get me wrong. Love the movie. One of my favorite. But still, Dr. Jones doesn't really accomplish anything. I think this has been remarked about before, Bob, uh, uh, on the internet, which does not, if you didn't read any of those remarks, it doesn't make you any less uh, original for coming up with the idea. But that is that is an interesting movie, where the, uh, the main character is basically along for a ride, and it's basically style points all the way through, rather than points for moving the uh, plot forward. Yeah? Mm. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take exception to this. So you're saying that it's no difference... Like the the arc ends up in one of two places, either a U.S. government controlled warehouse, which later gets turned into a crappy sci-fi channel television show, or a a Nazi occupied island where the Nazis like know where it is and are gonna like wonder where all their people went and probably go look again. Right? You think that they're just gonna keep walking up to it until there's a giant pile of bodies like around? Well, no, okay, okay, so you like, show, up, show up. Like, oh, I die! You're, you're, you're the like, Nazi I'm... subcommander sent to find out what happened to all those other guys, and you yeah. find like the Ark surrounded by dead bodies. You're probably not gonna open it, but you are still gonna have it. Yeah. And, like, maybe, you, maybe you're a little more careful next time. Well, uh, don't they actually address that in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Doesn't uh, Sean Connery talk about it at one point? About how, like, the the search for the grail isn't about the grail. Like, it's about, I mean, it's the journey, not the destination. It's a it's a race of good versus evil. It's sort of like a, the, the grail has been put there by God in order to cause the Nazis and the good guys, in this case, I wouldn't say all Americans, um, to compete for it, right? To race for it, to find it. Um, and that the search is something that's been sort of divinely ordained, right? Uh, I don't know if that subtext is in, because in, in The Last Crusade it's important, because in The Last Crusade nobody gets the grail. I mean, spoilers, but nobody gets it. Nobody wins. Um, but at the same time, you get the sense that the drama has been, you know, satisfied and concluded. And it, it Well, it's because it's about, it's about him and his father, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. It's also because Tom Stopper rewrote the script uh, <laughs> and made it an actual, an actual nice script. Um, yeah, between him and his dad, it's not about the grail. God, Whereas, is there a is, script is that guy can't, Doctor? Uh, well, Spider-Man, right? <laughs> or they tried to, did he try to do it? Oh, no, that was Michael Chabon. I'm sorry, that was Michael Chabon, who they tried to have him do Spider-Man, and then they threw out his, all his stuff. And it was probably good. But yeah, but I mean, who is, what is, here's the question, what is Raiders of the Lost Ark actually about if it's not about finding the Ark? Because most movies are about something other than their sort of ostensible plot purpose, right? It's about, it's about the triumph of the human spirit. Now, that's a cheap, weak answer. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of the point. That's like the that's what the Mighty Ducks two is about, all right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what Beethoven's second is about. <laughs> Beethoven's second is about Charles Grodin's fear of fatherhood. Is what Beethoven's second is about. Well, um, this may not be particularly overthought, but I think it's really about Indian Marion Ravenwood. It's like a it's a love down, story. It's a love story. They, <laughs> like the like the Taylor Swift song, um, and they wind up together at the end. That's all that they talks, have is they have each other. He talks to her dad, tells her to buy a white dress. Actually, she has a white <laughs> dress pretty early in the movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> then bad things happen. 
Well, let's uh, let's wrap up because uh, we want to know this. If you what what is Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark? What is Raiders? Sorry, there's no Indiana Jones in that movie. It's Indiana Jones in the movie's title, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark. What is Raiders of the Lost Ark about? Chat room, uh, listeners, anyone. You know, if you know, if you think you know, let us know. Or if you have anything else to say to us, write us at podcast at overthinkingit.com or call the voicemail at 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Really? You're not going to do it anymore? Sorry? Never mind. Stokes gave me Stokes gave me poop about it, and I, you know. So there you go. Oh, I Aww. outed him. I promised that I, I promised that I wouldn't. But um, I don't know. I'm, no, I'm not afraid of offending anybody. Twenty eat log zero one, uh, or you can use the contact form on the site or write in uh, comments on the show notes. We want to hear nerds. Uh, on the voicemail, so uh, everyone, everyone, do that if you uh, wouldn't mind. And we want to hear your comments, which we will save till the the uh, last. Uh, sorry, till the next uh, listener feedback episode, which is not the last listener feedback episode. This is eighty seven right now, and we're still going strong. Uh, we will be back next week. Next week is going to be the Oscar show where we give our reactions to the Oscar telecast. Um, the, the, you know, awards that were awarded. We're also going to be live tweeting at that. So follow us on Twitter at overthinking it. If you don't, it's twitter.com slash overthinking it. Uh, we may try to live stream. If you keep an eye on the channel, we may, we may try to do it. We'll also, we'll tweet and we will, uh, post on the Facebook page. Um, if we haven't done it. Oh, hey, another thing. Another thing, uh, chat room and listeners. We have 5,500 Facebook fans. Uh, why, why on earth? Uh, <laughs> right? We honestly don't know what happened. Yeah. Because it was no, like 2,000 a month ago, right? Yeah, it yeah was, we got it a was huge like dramatic spike in yeah. Honestly, a thousand or fifteen hundred makes sense to me because that is that's a number that, given some of the statistics that that you know we're privy to from the Google Analytics, that's a number that makes sense. But fifty five hundred does not make any sense at all. So, if anyone can account for for why this should be, uh, let us know. Podcastedoverthinking dot com or two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Or if or if you're an employee of Facebook, I should say. I mean, you could be out there. You know, let us know who like where are we big? Like, are we really big in one? one social network or something. Um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so it remains to say that until next week, when we do the Oscar, when we do the Oscar pol- podcast, where you can find us is on the web at www.overthinkingit.com. The site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. It probably doesn't deserve. And Peleg lived 30 years and begat Rayu. And Peleg lived after he begat Rayu 209 years and begat sons and daughters. And Rayu lived 230 years and begat Serug. And Rayu lived after he begat Serug 207 years. He begat Serug. <laughs> I was waiting for the Bible quote at the end, and you chose <laughs> you chose the greatest passage of them all. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>